0: Uh, For you that are here for the very first time, I want to give you a special welcome, and I hope this will be such a good experience for you that you will want to be in this place each and every week, and your journey with God will just deepen and deepen as you go on. Uh, For you that are watching online, as much as I wish you were here, uh, I'm glad that you're there watching and hope that you'll experience the fullness of what goes on here today. We're in this series called Journey to Destiny, and we've said from the very beginning that God has the same destiny for each and every human being, that we are to, in this life, be in a developmental journey. Your purpose, my purpose in life, is to grow. It is to become a Christ-like version of myself. This starts when I put my trust in Christ, my Creator, who loved me enough to die for me. And then as I become His follower, He can now start to help me to grow, develop, to become who I was always meant to become, that Christ-like version of myself. And to do those things that I'm uniquely called and equipped to do. In this developmental journey, this journey toward destiny, we have certain experiences. And today we're going to look at one called defining moments. We've been tracking with Moses. In the life of Moses, we see some of the typical developmental experiences that God takes us through. And one of these are defining moments. Now, let me have you just kind of think for a moment. Can you perhaps look back in your life? and pick something you didn't know it at the time more than likely but in looking back you can see man that that was a defining moment that was life-changing in a particular way that has moved me spiritually toward that divine destiny that God called me toward so kind of let that sit in for a minute and uh I'll share one that happened with me uh this one was quite a surprise uh I had been leading a Baptist church for about six years, and we started out about 12 people. We got up to about 100, and then we just got stuck, and I was just kind of coming unglued. I just knew that, that the potential for God's churches was so much greater, and so to make a long story short, I, I took some time and came up with about 13 points of change that I thought would uh, help our church to reach its potential. Uh, I was very excited. I presented it to the leaders, and you know, they just sat, and they listened, and I didn't really read their responses too well i thought man they they must be all on board because they didn't say no and so you know i went on about a week later after service uh i had one of the members say hey a bunch of us are getting together up at larry's night Well i was familiar with larry i had vacation at my family larry's family had vacation together he was my good buddy uh he led skycroft ministry at the time we're going to get get together larry's and i said sure i'll come well i've never been mugged before in a church Until then, I got there and when I went to my friend Larry's house, which had been nothing but good times up to this point, here sat this table full of people, about 13, 14 people, all grim faced. There was not going to be any happy meals delivered this evening, I knew. And I'm telling you, I've never been hit from so many angles in my life. I mean, I grew up in Southeast Washington. I took my share of beatings growing up. I had never been beaten like this. And I'm never one that's short on words. I usually always have a word. Do you agree? I can talk. (laughs) I couldn't even talk. They hit me from so many angles, and it went on and on and on, you know, just ripping my 13 points of change and ripping me. And um, finally, they were exasperated because they knew that I'm one that speaks a lot, and I didn't say a word. And so my good friend Larry said, well, aren't you going to say anything? And I said, nope. Nope, not now. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll talk to you in a week. And uh, gained my composure, went home, you know, shed my tears before the Lord, got my mind together. I was so convicted that what I was introducing was absolutely God's will, consistent with His word, that I knew even if it meant losing everything, I had to do this. I met with them a week later, and now I did all the talking, and they did the listening. And I told them essentially that I'm going to go forward with who any, anybody that will go forward with me. And, uh, of course, that went real well. The church dismantled within a year. <laughs> and uh, what was birthed out of it, though, was this church. Now, when we started off, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know what was going to happen. We were completely inadequate. It was scary, uncomfortable. But I knew in my bones that it was God's will and that if I died doing it, I'd rather die that way. If I lost everything, I'd rather lose it that way. It was a fork in the road. It was a defining moment. And the 27-year history of this church has had more impact on my character, on my life, than any other experience in my life. And it all came from that mugging from a bunch of Baptists. I didn't know then it was (laughs) the—Baptists are good fighters, by the (laughs) way— Um, didn't know it then, but it was a defining moment. Now we're going to go back and we're going to look at Moses and the Israelites, and we're going to see the Israelites at a defining moment. It is 15 months since they've left Egypt. They are now right on the border of the land of promise. God kept saying that he was going to give them the land of the Canaanites, that it was a wonderful land, that they were going to become his nation, his treasured possession. They were going to reveal his truth to the rest of the world as they lived in accordance with his word and his will. And so they get right to the very border. Let's go ahead and turn to page 165 in those Bibles that are near you on your chair. And we'll be in Numbers chapter 13. And that's, again, that's page 165, and the Bible's near you on the chair. And do, do turn there and read with me, because you'll get so much more out of it if you're actually looking at Scripture as it's read. And I'm going to kind of pick up to what's happened. Uh, they got to the border of the Promised Land, and Moses said, okay, let's send out some people to scout out the land. And so they send out these scouts, and they've been out for 40 days, and now they're coming back to report what they found, what they find. Let's look at verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and to the whole community of the Israelites in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They reported to the whole community and showed the fruit of the land. They told Moses, we went to the land where you sent us, and it is indeed flowing with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They had a bunch of grapes. Verse 28, but the inhabitants, and here's the but, but, but the inhabitants are very, are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses, let us go up and occupy it, for we are well able to conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people because they are stronger than we are. Then they presented, to the, Israel, presented the Israelites with a discouraging report of the land they had investigated, saying, the land that we passed through to investigate is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people we saw there are of great stature. We even saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim, and we seem like, what is the word? Grasshoppers, Grasshoppers, both to ourselves and to them. Chapter 14, let's go right on. Then all the community raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the Israelites murmured against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, "'If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had perished in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land only to be killed by the sword that our wives and our children should become plunder? Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt?' So they said to one another, "'Let's appoint a leader and return to Egypt.'" Then Moses and Aaron fell down with their faces to the ground before the whole assembled community of the Israelites. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, two of those who had investigated the land, tore their garments. They said to the whole community of the Israelites, The land we passed through to investigate is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that is flowing with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is turned aside from them but the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Verse 10. However, the whole community threatened to stone them but the glory of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tent of meeting. And we'll stop there. So here they are. They're right to the very border. They have received now laws from god some 613 laws as well as the ten commandments they had received his promises that he was going to give them this land god had waited for 400 years to bring judgment on the inhabitants of the land we read back in genesis 15 6 that the inhabitants of the land were were going to come under God's judgment if they didn't repent. They didn't after 400 years. So now he was going to move them out, give the land to the Israelites. He kept promising them that he would go before them and that they would conquer, they would win. You know, he says five of you will chase 100 and 100 of you will chase 10,000. He tells them this in Leviticus 26, 7 and 8. So they had all these promises of God. They saw what God had done to the Egyptians, the 10 plagues that he unleashed and how he single-handedly had broken the will of Pharaoh, buried his army in the red sea they had seen all of these miracles and yet they get right to the border and they're like you got to be kidding they got to the border of the promised land and there there were no banners saying welcome israelites come and take our homes you know There, there were no signs saying close out sale you know we're leaving forever nothing like that they got there, and what they find are well-fortified cities with warrior-like people, and they find giants in the land. The Nephilim, if you want to know about what the Nephilim are, you've got to go back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. These were hybrids that were the result of angels of God, rebellious angels of God, mating with human women, and they produced this offspring, this hybrid race called the Nephilim, and they were gargantuan, they were giant, they were not normal humans at all. Goliath was one of them he was nine foot six he had brothers they were all from the Nephilim so the Israelites see this and all at once they they are shattered they're scared to death and they are angry it's interesting how emotionally we can go from fear to anger an awful lot of the time and so they turn on Moses, they turn on Aaron. This isn't the first time they've turned on Moses. This is actually the 10th time they've turned on Moses and God. If you read on in chapter 14, God himself specifically says, this is the 10th time now in these 15 months that they've turned on me like this. And God finally says, you know what? They're not going to make the cut. They're not going to go. They're not going to enter the promised land. This, this defining moment for the Israelites... When God's will was so clear, he had told them in his word, this is yours for the taking. You cannot lose. If you fight, you will win. All you've got to do is trust me. But they don't. And God finally says to them, that's it. They won't go in. They'll never have the trust to go forward. He says, however, he says, concerning their children that they said would be destroyed, they will go in, but it will be 40 years Later, 38 and a half approximately. So, this particular group of people, they get right to the edge of their God given destiny. And they turn back because of a simple lack of trust in God. And for the next 38 and a half years, they wander around in circles, essentially, in the wilderness, never becoming who God meant them to become, never doing what God meant them to do. But let me just share this with you God never left them or forsook them. He continued to provide them supernatural food and water the entire 38 and a half years. He protected them. He loved them. He continued to nurture them. He did the best that he could to help them grow and develop. But they missed, they missed their opportunity. Now, we live in a day of grace where God has given a full revelation of himself in Christ. They didn't have that. They had a partial revelation of God as it was given in the laws that God gave to them. We have the full revelation of God. We know that he is sacrificially devoted to us, that he knows our highest good. He wants our highest good. Therefore, we don't have any reason not to trust him entirely and follow him fully with all of our hearts and all of our passion. There's no reason for us to ever shrink back like they shrunk back because we know the truth about God now, the truth about life. They only had a partial small picture. But sometimes, sometimes we do the same thing when our defining moments come. So, this was the difference between childhood and adulthood. The border of the promised land was where God was going to call the Israelites to stop being spiritual children... And to start becoming spiritual adults. And he always does that with each of his children. It's okay when we're babies. He takes care of all of our needs. He, he protects us in special ways. He gives us all kinds of things, special treats. But he ultimately wants us to grow up. Listen to a couple of New Testament verses that just sort of depict this a little more clearly. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writing to Christ followers in the city of Corinth He says, brothers and sisters, I couldn't speak to you as people who live by the Holy Spirit, meaning live led by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. He said, I couldn't talk to you that way. I had to speak to you as people who were still following what? The ways of the world. Meaning this, you're still living like people that are terrified of death and therefore you're you're completely consumed by self-preservation and self-gratification you don't know how long you're going to live so you want to get all the gusto you can as long as you can you're living just like people who don't know the truth about god and the truth about life you're living just like the people of the world by their values and their behavioral patterns and so forth he says you aren't growing as christ what wants you to God loves us as newborn babies when we first put our trust in Christ but God wants us to grow up you know how it goes you you think it's very cute when your little child is sitting there in a high chair and they're splashing food all around like I said a week ago but you don't want that 30 year old son doing the same thing right you want him to grow up you aren't growing as Christ wants you to you're still living like what does it say the Israelites They got right to the border where it was now time to step up and to become young men and young women, adults, spiritual adults, and they shrink back simply because they didn't trust God. That's all it came down to. It wasn't complicated. It was simply that they, all things considered, didn't trust Him. And so they pulled back. Now, they trusted Him partially. They just didn't trust Him enough. They didn't trust Him to move forward the way that He intended them to. Listen to these words from Luke, excuse me, uh, he, uh, Hebrews, and then we'll go to Luke. It says, by this time, you should be what? Teachers, but in fact, you need someone to teach you all over again. You need even the simple truths of God's Word. You need milk, not solid food. Here, the writer of Hebrews is saying that there's a, there's a time when we as spiritual followers of Christ are meant to grow and develop and get to the point where we can do some teaching and not always needing to be taught it's kind of like you know how the drill goes when you're a kid when you're a little kid mom dad somebody makes you the peanut butter jelly sandwich and your deal is to eat it and you start out you can't even eat it very well you're you're kind of dropping it and all like that and then you get where you can eat it pretty well and then maybe you grow up a little bit and you get to where you can make the peanut butter and jelly sandwich for yourself that's a real stage of development but then the ultimate stage of development is that you get to the place where you make the peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you serve it to somebody else that's maturity and the writer of Hebrews is saying the same thing that Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians. God wants us to grow, and it should happen, and we should get to the place where we not only can feed ourselves, that's what it means to be a teacher, but to feed others also. One of the things that pastors here all the time and and I don't mind it I swear I don't mind it at all because God knows I do my utmost to try to serve up a good meal every time we gather together I I mean I take it very very serious a good spiritual meal but pastors we hear people saying all the time well I need to be fed I need to be fed I need to be fed you know what we think to ourselves why don't you grow up and feed yourself why don't you grow up and feed yourself why don't you grow up and feed somebody else why don't you grow up and feed somebody else Because that is God's developmental plan. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't always need to be fed. That's why God's giving gifted teachers and leaders in a local church. Yes, we that are feeding, we that are teaching others need to be taught also, need to be fed and stirred and and all that kind of thing. But the writer of Hebrews, just like Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians, there's a time when God says, come on, put on the big boy clothes and let's get serving. That's one of the characteristics of, Of adulthood, spiritual adulthood, let's get caring for someone else instead of all the time decrying that our needs are not being met or need to be met or that, you know, God still is disappointing us in some way. Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 22 This is the very night uh, that, that Jesus is about to be betrayed. He's going to go to the cross within hours. He's meeting with his disciples that he's been with for three and a half years. And the night of his betrayal, a dispute also started among them over which of them was to be regarded as what? Now, mind you, Jesus already told them, I'm going to be crucified, guys. I'm going to the cross. And they're arguing that night, the very night, over which one of them was the wheel, the big shot, the dog. Who's going to be the greatest? The same night in Matthew 23, he answered this question. He said, the greatest among you will be your what? Servant. Servant. The greatest will. I don't think you guys got it. The greatest among you will be your what? Servant. Servant. Okay? Just as the Son of Man, Jesus speaking of himself, did not come to, ser- to be served, but to what? Servant. To serve. And we we know this. I mean, we understand. It's just like I've said before. You know, if if there were aliens staring down on the planet and they would watch big people, you know, adults function with babies, they they may conclude, you know, whoever these little creatures are, they are very powerful. These big people do everything for them. They simply cry and they come running. They even change their pants for them. They are very powerful. They probably think dogs are even more powerful because we go behind them with a bag picking up their mysterious creatures are very powerful but we understand it we know in everyday life the greater always serves it is the weaker that needs to be served the Israelites were about to be called to a new step of identity and maturity, to be the, the, f- the full people of God, to be his partners in ministry. That's what God always wants. He wants full-blown, mature sons and daughters that know dad's heart, that know his mind, that know his word, that know his will, and who love what he loves and can't wait to get at it. Not, not automatons that wait to be told every single thing, what to do and how to do it. No, that's not what he wants. And the Israelites shrunk back from that critical step. You see, there's a critical step that leads to developmental experiences that bring maturity. And part of that is you've got to learn to fight. Spiritually speaking, you've got to learn to struggle. I want to share a few things with you that are requirements about moving from childhood to adulthood. The first thing Is We have to accept personal responsibility, personal responsibility for ourselves, our development, and we have to be willing to forsake the comfort zone. We all know what the comfort zones are. We all have these areas in our life where we feel like, I'm going to do this because I feel comfortable with that, but I'm not going to do that or be involved in that because that is too doggone uncomfortable. Well, I can just tell you, you and I will not mature unless we forsake the comfort zones In trust of God. The Israelites were going to do that. Listen, up to this point, God had done everything for the Israelites. He breaks them out of Egypt. He unleashes His power and miracles on the Egyptians. He opens the Red Sea. He's feeding them with manna from heaven every day. He's providing water for them supernaturally. They didn't have to do anything. He did everything for them. That's appropriate. We do everything for children. We do everything for babies. But now He was calling them to do something. He was saying, okay, now it's time. You step into Canaan and you strap a sword on your side and you start fighting for that which I am declaring is yours. But it's only yours if you're willing to fight for it. It's only yours if you care about it. It's only yours if you want it badly enough. You're going to have to be responsible and you're going to have to forsake your comfort zones. And they were not. They were not willing to forsake the comfort zone. They'd say, find somebody to take us back to Egypt. They forgot how bad Egypt was. In Egypt, they were whipped day and night, and they were killing their male children at birth. They, they seemed to forget that pretty quickly. Number two, it requires circumstantial risk. You and I cannot mature, will not grow into spiritual adulthood unless we are willing to take circumstantial risk. We have to counter fear with faith, with trust. You won't grow. I won't grow. We won't develop. We won't become fully mature unless we're willing to take some risk to do some things that God says to do, but they are terribly uncomfortable, and we have no certainty as to what the outcome is going to be. But we do know that He's told us in His Word. These are clearly things that we ought to be doing as His people. These are necessary steps for developmental maturity, circumstantial risk, countering our fears with trusting God, with their faith. Number three, function over vision. Now, this one is tricky. Trusting God to work where? In us and how? Through us. Remember what I said up to this point, God had done everything for the Israelites. All they had to do was just kind of stand there essentially, walk. That was it. He did everything for them. But now he's telling them everything's about to change. I'm no longer going to do everything for you. I'm going to do everything in you and through you. This is functional revision. You and I won't mature we won't enter adulthood until we come to this place where we understand everything that God's actually going to do and accomplish on planet earth. He's going to do and accomplish on planet earth through those who are willing, willing to do his will no matter what the cost, no matter what the risk, no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter what the price is that you personally may have to pay. It's people that are willing to say, I am inadequate. I don't I don't have what it takes to do this. But God, if you tell me in your word, this is what I should do then I'm going to trust you to work in me to give me the power, the ability, the courage even to do what it is that I'm inadequate to do. And I'm going to trust that you're not only going to work in me, you're going to work through me to accomplish your purposes on this earth. See, the promised land was given to them by God, but they had to fight for it. That was very, very different than what they had experienced before. And, And they said, we saw the Nephilim there. We were like grasshoppers. These people were were giants. They had fortifications. They're warring like people. They're they're not moving anywhere. So they knew this was going to be very, very personally uncomfortable. And they might take some serious losses in this. Now, I got thinking about this a little bit. And, um, you know, so you're an Israelite. And you're standing there and you're going to face off to some Goliath-like or a tribe of Goliath-like people. And we're talking hand-to-hand combat. This, this is, wasn't anything pretty. And it made me think of a recent experience. Um, we, probably you guys noticed I was a little tired looking last, last Sunday. Uh, but, well, here's why. Here's why. I was, <laughs> I was up at the Barclays Center up in New York. For the uh, Deontay Wilder Dominic Brazil heavyweight championship fight, and uh, you can see they're a little taller than me. They're each six seven. I'm not sure what I am anymore. I'm I'm shrinking. <laughs> they're uh, they're younger. I'm a little older than them. Um, so uh, the the fight, by the way, uh, it, it kind of ended. Uh, Dominic got sleepy really quickly. In the first round, he just laid down in the middle of the ring and went to sleep. He must have had a busy evening planned or something. But uh, the Israelites would not have felt like they were suddenly, you know, steroided up or something like that. It would have been like me getting into the ring with Deontay Wilder. And God telling me, Randy, if you get in the ring with him, no matter how old you are, no matter how puny you are, no matter how big he is, no matter how bad he is, Randy, he's yours, man. He's toast. Just just get in the ring, man. Just just go. You know. But I would have been terrified. I would have been like, I don't think this is possible. I do not believe this is possible. You see, we can read these stories, folks, and we can sometimes castigate the Israelites and say, oh man, you know, you saw those miracles. But it's a whole different ball game when you're going to put yourself on the line. Some of you in this room, you know what it means to put yourself on the line. To put yourself in a very uncomfortable set of circumstances in order to serve God, in order to do His will, in order to serve somebody else. And you know what it's like to accept the cost that may come to you and the hurt that may come to you. As a result of doing it, Paul said when he went to Corinth, he spoke to them about Christ with fear and trembling he didn 't have this inner rush of courage. I doubt that the Israelites felt any inrush of courage i don 't really know how it worked out. They ultimately thirty eight and a half years later, that generation that they said were going to be killed, far from being killed, they went in under Joshua and they took the promised land, almost all of it, in about seven and a half years. I kind of have a theory about why. They've been wandering around the wilderness for 38 and a half years. They were probably mean as snakes and ready to fight anybody over anything. But they took it. My point is this. Here's what I've experienced. And I've been doing this for a long time now. Once I know from the Word of God what the will of God is, I pursue it. And I really don't care if anybody else is following And I really don't care if anybody else is doing what I'm doing. Once I know it's God's word or his will from his word, I'm going to throw myself into it. And often I'm scared, often I feel inadequate, I feel very uncertain, but I throw myself into it. And when I've done that, something happens. I can't quite explain it to you. I doubt that the Israelites could explain how that second generation won over these giants in the land. I'm sure they didn't feel this tremendous courage or, like I say, full of steroid power or something like that. But somehow, they actually won in a real struggle. We are called into a spiritual struggle. Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That is a spiritual mental struggle battle that we are called to fight you are called i am called power of one we are each called if we're christ followers to invest in the people that are in our circle of influence in life and to invite them to church and to try to be bridges between them and their creator christ and that takes wisdom and that takes courage and that may many times we feel inadequate about doing but nevertheless we're called we're called into this struggle to face these giants in our day So what does it look like to enter the promised land of adulthood? 2 Corinthians, for we that are New Testament Christ followers, it says the weapons of the war we're fighting are not of this world, but are powered by God and effective at tearing down the strongholds erected against His truth. Strongholds erected against God's truth, or the truth about God and the truth about life. What might they be? Well, how about global religions? You know, you have Islam. It's over a billion people. You you have... uh, hinduism which is just under a billion people you have secularism which is growing at a tremendous rate around the world these are big ideas that are combative toward the truth about god and life you have a false value system that is embraced by multitudes of people around the world you have the modern day media we're the only generation that's ever had to face the modern day media bombarding us with truths that are contrary to the truth about god and life I mean, on and on like I go, we have governmental structures, we have money structures, we have all kinds of things that make our battles social pressures that push back and urge us, don't you dare say things about Christ and the truth about life. So these are the things we have to struggle with and we have to fight and we have to take risks and we may experience some rejection and we may experience some, some job losses or we may not get some raises that we thought we would get. And, and we might even have some family division over some of these things. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 6. Our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood. It'll feel like it because it's people we encounter, but it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's who we're called to fight. Ours is a battle of ideas. We're trying to teach people that they were created by Christ and for Christ, and apart from Him, they'll never have the life they desire or were meant to have. And we just want to see them come to trust in their Creator Christ, and to follow him fully the way humans were meant to live. There's a guy named Derek Lamb, or Derek Lam, and he's a Chinese Christian. He lives in Hong Kong. Take a picture there of him. Since 16 years old, he's wanted to be a pastor, but he knows now the likelihood is is that he never will be. You see, Hong Kong is changing dramatically. Hong Kong was originally, you know, a British, well, it wasn't originally, but it became a British colony in 1841, and then around uh, 1898 or something like that, they made this deal with China that after a 99-year lease, China would take over again. And so in 1997, uh, China took over Hong Kong again, and they've been gradually, very slowly making changes. And what they've been doing, tearing down churches, forcing people into the the church of China, government-controlled church, repressing Christians, forcing Christians to worship secretly underground. Slowly but surely, they're squeezing away the freedom of the Christians there, and Derek Lamb is one that is fighting against this. Listen to what he goes on to say. He says, I won't make Jesus bow down to Xi Jinping. Although there is nothing I would love more than to become a pastor and preach the gospel in Hong Kong, I will never do so if it means making Jesus subservient to Xi Jinping. He goes on, instead, I will continue to fight for religious freedom in Hong Kong, even if I have to do it from behind bars. What I ask of you is to keep Hong Kong in your prayers as we seek to find light amid the sea of darkness descending upon us. That, that's what we're called to do today. We're called to be spiritual warriors. They were called to physical battle. And of course, they shrunk back. Listen to this verse from 1 Corinthians 15. Here's the Apostle Paul speaking to Christ's followers. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always, big word, always give yourselves, what is the word? Fully, Fully, always fully give yourself to the work of the Lord because you know that that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So, what if this morning is a God-given defining moment for some of us in this room? And I suspect it is. In fact, I suspect it is for a lot of us. What if up to this point we have been more or less in a state of spiritual childhood we've been receiving we've been taking we've been you know enjoying the benefits of god's mercy and his forgiveness and the gift of everlasting life and his comforting presence and so on and the guidance of his word and his leadership and his churches and so forth but we really haven't even given much thought to stepping forward and saying you know I want to become a co-worker with God. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to face whatever I have to face so that though I feel inadequate and scared, I am going to further the kingdom of God. I'm going to figure out what opportunities I have, what abilities I have, what talents, what spiritual gifts, and I'm going to start to figure out how to use them in ministry. Maybe the defining moment for some of you is you're, you're going to decide today, I'm going to actually buy a study Bible and I'm actually going to study the study Bible thoroughly as an adult and what I'm studying that study Bible for is to know God. I want to know Him. I want to know His heart. I want to be prepared so that the Word doesn't come to me by this time. You ought to be a teacher. But I'm going to prepare myself so that to some measure I can teach others also. Maybe some of you, your defining moment this morning, there's a fork in the road and it's about just stepping up to serve somewhere. Jesus said that the greatest among us will be servants. He is a servant. Each of us has spiritual DNA within us that is meant to be expressed in serving someone. It might just be one person that God has called you to serve. Joshua served Moses for 40 years before he finally took over the Israelites and led them into the promised land you might be called to serve somebody or or maybe it's your family alone I don't I don't know but maybe it's service within the context of the local church and now this is your fork in the road this is your promised land day this is your Bar Barnea are you going to cross over or shrink back because it's too uncomfortable it doesn't fit into your schedule it makes you feel nervous it might be that your dividing line is, is to join a growth group, to really get involved with other people that are seeking God for himself. The, they want to know him. They want to serve him. They want to be like him. But you've shrunk back for some reason at this point. Maybe it's inconvenient. May, maybe, maybe you're just not interested. But maybe this morning God's saying, come on, there's still time to grow up and be a giver and a servant instead of a taker and one that is always in need to be served. So I'm not sure what your defining moment might be. I suspect that God in love has given all of us these forks in the road this morning, these defining moments. Let's not be like the Israelites. They shrank back because they just didn't trust God to give them the power and the courage and the enablement to do what he called them to do. Listen, God is faithful. He will never call you or I. He'll never tell us anything in his word that we are to do or not to do. He'll never tell us to stop something or start something unless he's going to give us the power to stop it or to start it. It might be that God's moving some of you, tried to move you for years to launch some kind of a ministry. It might be something very unique just to you and him. And maybe this morning he's saying, one more time, come on, let's get this business going. These are wonderful opportunities where we get to take huge leaps forward to becoming more like the Christ-like self that God gave birth to us so that we could become. And then, of course, for some of you it might be that this is your day this is your opportunity. This is your fork in the road to put your trust in Christ, your creator, and become his follower. Everybody's following somebody. You're either following yourself or some other human being. Why not follow the creator of the universe and the one that loved you enough to sacrificially die for you? If you can find somebody better to follow than Jesus, go for it, man. You follow them. But if not, why not this day quit playing games, put your trust in Christ, and follow him fully and freely and forever? He'll give you eternal life. He promises that. He'll forgive all your sins. He promises that. And he will lovingly help you to grow and develop and become who you were always meant to become and do what you were always meant to do. It is not too late no matter how old you are. Moses was 80 when God called him. So what is it today that is your defining moment? That God's offering for you from me. Let's pray. Father, as your Spirit moves in our hearts, help us. Help us to see what we might not easily see. Help us to see those those opportunities, those nudgings that maybe you've given us, those, those crystal clear areas that you have called us in your Word to tackle, to handle, to deal with, to change. Help us to see those ministry opportunities that you want us to leap into knowing full well that only with your power can we succeed. Help us to see that we are all servants made in your image and give us boldness to serve within that context that you've called us to. I ask this in Christ's name, amen.